Well, good morning, Grace. Happy uh, last day. Or, I don't, what do we do with this, right? It's so fun to gather together one service, well, except for somebody sitting in my spot. But besides that, oh, you thought that. You had that, okay. Here's some closing thoughts for the year. Here, um, a ponder. Think about this. Have you ever thought that the Bible is the single most edited book in all of literature? Think about it. Okay. Single most edited book. Thousands of years, over countless civilizations, the book literally begins at the creation of all things. And it ends at, at the end. <laughs> so, you've know, you got to cover all of that in 2,000 pages. So, the ultimate editor has a very difficult time having to decide what's going to be included and what's not going to be included. So things like dinosaurs and Euclid and Socrates and Alexander the Great don't even make it. But then, right, there's that chapter on mold, you know, uh, all the details of the tabernacle, the lists of names, multiple lists of multiple names. So you've got to wonder, like, why do some things make it and other things don't? Well, in editing a book, there ha you have to determine before, what is the purpose of this literature? What's the purpose of the Bible? And the purpose of the Bible is to help us understand the, the nature of God and the purpose of all creation. How God is working in creation to pull out his designed plan for that. And so... Euclid doesn't make it because he's not part of that purpose and plan, not the details anyway, no matter how intelligent. Well, if that's true, and it is, then <laughs> you have to come to the conclusion that those things that are included in the Bible give us a great opportunity to learn. And if there were anything in the Bible that we're told about, three full chapters in the Bible are going to tell a story it must be for very good reason. There must be a profound application for us to know the nature of God and the purpose of creation. There are three chapters that you wonder why they're there. They're called the Lost Ark, like, right? The Lost Ark narrative. And it's found in 1 Samuel chapters 4, 5, and 6. Three full chapters. Three, it's a three-act play. And it's going to tell us about the nature of God and the purpose of creation and how we play a part in that. That's how we'll end this year. Act 1, chapter 4. I think you could call it, could it get any worse? It starts with uh, the Philistines attacking Israel, and Israel loses badly. They lose 3,000, 4,000 troops in this. And then the leaders gather later after they've retreated, and they say, why has the Lord allowed this to happen? Well, it wasn't his fault. <laughs> but why has the Lord allowed this to happen? And then they come up with this scheme. They say, why don't we take the Ark of the Covenant into our next battle? It, not he, it will defeat the enemies for us. Uh-oh. 
The first thing we need to acknowledge here is they're treating God Almighty like, a, like pagan believers. And sometimes when people think of pagans, they think they're atheists. No, pagans are people that believe in multiple gods usually, but their style of worship is that they can manipulate their deity so that their deity is obliged to them. So they, they chant or do sacrifices or whatever it might be, and then that deity has to do with they're told. So you throw a virgin in a volcano or you, know, you say your prayers, and that deity owes you happiness. And frankly, that's an easy thing for all of us to fall into. We do. It's like a default of our bent nature. We often are disappointed and often angry with God, God of the universe, not a pagan deity, because we've done our prayers, we've done our obedience, we've done this, that, or the other thing, and how come I'm not fill in the blank? God, how come I'm not wealthier than I am, or healthier, or happier, or married, or whatever it might be? I did my part. God, you do your part. So, there... They're going to use the Ark of the Covenant like a pagan would. And to be clear, the Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of the holiness of God and the very presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant is the most sacred artifact in the Old Testament. And they're going to use this like a rabbit's foot. No, I mean a better, like a genie in a lamp. They're going to take the Ark of the Covenant of God Almighty into battle, and they're going to rub the lamp, and then God's going to come out, and then he's going to go get them. <laughs> it's not going to go well. And so chapter 4, verse 4, uses the formal name, the Ark of the Covenant of God Almighty, the Lord of, the, of heavenly armies, is sought, and the head priest, is, uh, his name is Eli, and his two adult sons take the Ark, Hophni and Phinehas. And they bring it into the Israeli camp. And when they bring it into the Israeli camp, the people shout with joy as though the ground was shaking underneath them. Well, the Philistine army hears this maybe on the other ridge, and they're terrified. They're asking, why? Why so much shouting so that even the ground trembles? And they said, this is dreadful. We have never faced anything like this. Who can save us from the gods of Israel? Remember what, he, what they did to Egypt with all those plagues? And then some soldier in the Philistine army stands up and says, you know, gird your loins, men, fight like men. We need to fight because if we don't, they'll turn us into the slaves that we're trying to make them into. And it says, and the Philistines fought with great desperation. And they did. Israel went out with their ark. They started to lose. They rubbed the ark. Somebody, I don't know, give me a goat or something to sacrifice. This is not working. Eli, the head priest, is sitting in his chair outside the city gates, and here's what he hears in the conclusion of this fiasco. A runner comes and he says, we have suffered a huge loss. Not 4,000, we have 30,000 dead and counting. Wait, that's not all. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they've been killed. No. It gets worse still. 
the ark of the covenant of the Lord has been taken. And with that, Eli falls over backwards and breaks his neck. How bad can it get? It gets worse. Phineas, one of those carriers of the ark, his wife goes into labor and she's dying in this childbirth. And her last words, the nursemaid say, well, it's going to be a boy. Congratulations. And she said, name him Ichabod. Because that means the glory of the Lord has departed Israel. Her dying words are, God has left. We're all alone now. So, Act 1 ends. Here's what it looks like. The temple or I'm sorry, the tabernacle of Israel is now is just a husk. It's an empty tent. Blow out the candles on, on the lampstand because this is rock bottom. We have trivialized the holiness of God and he is left. This is rock bottom. When God says to you, okay, your will be done. That's the end of that. Act 2, chapter 5. You want to call this, uh, to the victor goes the spoils. Meanwhile, in Philistine country, the Philistines are having a bonfire of celebration. You know, the bullies have beaten up the skinny kid again. And they're dancing and celebrating. They've just, in the way they're looking at it, they've just captured another deity. Let's just put this Ark of the Covenant of God Almighty in the trophy room. They have a temple, a shrine to their god, or one of their gods anyway. And uh, so there's a huge statue of Dagon, their god. And they put the ark in that temple next to Dagon. Wake up the next morning, I guess the priest that was working morning shift comes in and finds Dagon face down in front of the ark. Like Dagon is worshiping the ark. I don't remember a bad breeze last night or even an earthquake. How'd this happen? Well, I don't know. Let's just set him back up, and so they do. Next day, they come into the temple of Dagon, and now Dagon's carcass is face down. Well, not, it's kind of chest down because it's been decapitated, and the hands have fallen off. And the hands and the head have rolled over to the, to the entrance to, <laughs> to the temple a long way away, and, and all the Philistines understand what happens when an enemy has been decapitated and the hands have been cut off because that's what they do to kings. Cut off their head, cut off their hands, and hang them because they're showing their absolute dominance. Head represents the sovereignty of this king or God, and the hands, the power. So they've lost all power, lost sovereignty, and Dagon is in pieces with his head and his hands at the threshold. The point is, terror has entered the storyline. They didn't know this when it started, but it's officially a Stephen King movie. Because later that night, unleashed against the Philistines in Ashdod here, is an army of disease-infested rats. In this part of the storyline, it'll say nine times the hand of God was upon them. The hand of the Lord was, was holding them. 
Here's what, here's what happens in Ashdod, verses 6 and 3, chapter 5, there it says, And then the Lord, heavy, you know, Jehovah, the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumors. And when the people realized what was happening, they cried out, We can't, we can't keep the ark of God of Israel here any longer. The Lord is against us. We will all be destroyed along with Dagon, our God. So they called together the rulers of the Philistine towns and asked, what should we do? What should we do with this ark of God of Israel? This plague of tumors, they're dying from that. When I was just a boy, I'm sure some of you guys did this. You ever play, what's the worst way to die? You ever do? Saturday was pretty predictable for us. We'd wake up, we'd watch Tarzan and just trying to survive a jungle infested with death and dying, and then after that came on Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, <laughs> where we saw leopards hunt and kill and eat and devour. And then our parents would kick us to the curb and say, don't come back until the streetlights come on or unless you're really injured, but leave us alone. So we'd all, all the kids sit out on the curb, and when, because I guess maybe two hours of death, of various forms of death, we'd always we ended up playing, what's the worst way to die? Quicksand, easy answer. <laughs> Tied to the ground, having ants eat you. Apparently that was in an episode. Clearly nobody had read the Bible. This is the worst way to die. Look at your Bible commentaries. When it says this plague, it was death by hemorrhoids. Yeah. Okay, we can look that word up later if you want. But this is the worst way to die. And it's wiping out the old and the young. And the story goes on where Ashdod says, we've had enough of this. I'll just read it to you. And the ark of God was, uh, had, uh, was entering Ekron, another capital city, one of these major cities. And the people of Ekron cried out. They don't want anything to do. They, they, they brought the ark of God of Israel around to kill us and all of our people. And so they all called together all the rulers of the Philistines, and they said, send the ark of God of Israel away. Let it go back to its own place, or we'll kill all the people here. And then here's a great quote. For death had filled the city with panic. The hand of God was, on, uh, was very heavy upon it. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven itself. I'm picturing all of the Philistine major cities are crying out to God, it says. You remember, you've probably seen it this year, It's a Wonderful Life. You know how they picture the archangels talking to God Almighty, it's in the heavens and the various galaxies are talking, uh, hello Joseph, what's happening? I can't help but notice in Canaan I'm hearing a lot of praying to me from Philistines asking for mercy from the God of the Israelites, God Almighty. Are they, are they giving me glory? And little, I don't know, Angel Joseph says, yeah, they've, I think they fear your holiness. They've had about enough. And that's how Act 2 ends. To the victor goes the spoils. Act 3, Philistine religious leaders get together and they're required to come up with a solution. <laughs> How do we stop this plague? 
How do, how, do we, how do we get in good with the God of Israel? It's been seven months, and they don't know what to do. And so the religious leaders say, look, here's maybe our only hope. You guys need to send that ark back to Israel, and you'd better include gifts. And not only gifts, but sin offerings. Sin offerings. <laughs> To the God of Israel. Look what it says. The Philistines asked, well, what guilt offerings should we send to him? And they replied, five gold tumors and five gold rats, according to the number of Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. Look what else it says. Give glory to Israel's God. Perhaps, perhaps he will lift that mighty hand from you and your gods and your land. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? When Israel's God dealt harshly with them, did they not send the Israelites out so that they could go on their way? So, this is how this section ends. They load up that ark. They put it on a cart after seven months of of Stephen King plague-like cinema. And, I mean, think about how it started. They started with this bonfire where everybody's singing, we are the champions, we are the champions. And now it ends with begging for mercy, the ark on an ox cart with bars of gold. Well, actually, in the form of tumors, that's gross, and rats. They empty their vaults and send the ark of God Almighty, the covenant God of Israel, back to its location. So, what's the lesson? Three full chapters in a highly edited book. And might I point out, there are no heroes in this story. What are we supposed to learn since God has committed this much literature to this lesson about the nature of God and his purpose for creation? Can you think? I want to share something with your neighbor. Three chapters. Here's what I think. God does not need you. He doesn't need us. He's God Almighty. He's going to get done what he wants to get done. He has a plan for creation. He has a purpose for creation. And the plan and the purpose of creation is to demonstrate to those that are seen and the unseen that he has a right to rule everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's the nature of God. That's the plan of creation. And it's going to happen with or without you, with or without us. Here's how it ends. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, every knee will bow, and it can bow voluntarily with great practice and submission because that's the way we live our life, or it will bow like Philistines bow. But the providential plan of God, the sovereign will of God, 
is that he will be glorified by everything because he is king. And he doesn't need, <laughs> with or without us. In other words, the end is written. It's fate. So, if that's true, and it is, what's the follow-up question? Why does God want us to play a part in his will? If he doesn't need us, why does he want us and insist on us being involved? All-powerful, sovereign God is drawing us into his story. I can think of two reasons. Because we could just, like, look at this story. We could just watch from the bleachers and live our lives safe and comfortable and watch history play out its part, its fate. Two reasons why God wants us involved in his story. One, he wants us to be a hero in his story. He wants, to, he wants us to involve ourselves in a way that we live heroic lives for his glory. What's tragic in these three chapters, and it's noted by almost every scholar I read, there's not a single hero in three chapters. No one wins. No one stands up and does the right thing. No one counts. I mean, listen, honestly, think of the movie based on this in some respects. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones does all the things he has to do, but it doesn't matter. It's the ark that destroys all those who have contempt for the holiness of the ark of the covenant. All the Nazis die ugly, violently, and powerfully, while Indiana Jones just closes his eyes. <laughs> so, why the snakes? You know, I hate snakes. And why is he always fighting out of his weight class? Constantly. He's getting drugged by various vehicles throughout this entire storyline. And so why the pain and, and the fear and the anxiety? Because for about two hours, Indiana Jones is a hero. We love everything about it. It's a great story. It starts with us going and introducing the character. This man has great intellect. He also is an exceptional athlete. And so how is Indy going to use his intellect and his athleticism to play a part in a story that already has an ending? He's going to do his best. And he will do whatever he has to do to play his part in the story of the Lost Ark. So what's your gift? What is your spiritual gift, and how are you going to use it in the church to be a hero? How are you going to use those gifts in the church to be a hero? When I was thinking about this, I was drawn to a movie many of you have seen, George C. Scott playing George Patton. And it starts with George Patton doing a motivational speech. And towards the end, he, he's, living, he's explaining a life with regret is worse than a life lived in fear. And so he says to the troops, he says, listen, there'll be a day 30 years from now 
and you'll be sitting in front of a fire and your grandson will be on your knee and he's going to say, Granddad, what'd you do in that great second world war? What part did you play? And he says, you're going to thank God that you won't say that you were shoveling manure in Louisiana. And that's one of the reasons the sovereign God of the universe wants us to play a part because 30 years into eternity, when we're asked around a communion table, so what part did you play? What gifts did the Spirit of God give you to play a part in His church, to be a hero? And you thank God that you don't say, well, we just kind of lived safe and comfortable to make sure that, you know, we were safe and comfortable. What? No. He wants us to live a life of heroism, playing a part in his church, to do great things all over the world, be a hero. I think the second reason that we're called to do great works that God has arranged before time, do in Christ Jesus, he's arranged those to happen, and he doesn't need us, not just to be heroes, but to be with us. It's, it's time to spend together with God. <laughs> it's about a relationship. Have you ever had your children help you with anything? How'd that go? Here's my son years ago helping me mow the lawn. <laughs> did I need the help? No, I did not. <laughs> did that lawn mowing event go any better? No, it did not. But he knew I was out there mowing and he wanted to be with me. Here's a picture of our youngest helping my wife make cookies. Whoo! <laughs> Thanks for the help. Was it easier? No. Was it faster? <laughs> oh God, no, it was not faster. It took three times as long. Was it cleaner? Nah. Did it taste better? Never had cookies with eggshells. Thank you so much. <laughs> and why did Melinda love Amy joining her? Because that's where she was. She was in the kitchen making cookies, and she wanted to be with her daughter, and her daughter wanted to be with her. That's what it's like when our children join us. That's why God wants to bring us into his world. It's a relationship. And so God Almighty, who doesn't need our help, wants us to help make cookies. Have you thought about that? The God of the universe would, would say to us, hey, you want to help mow the lawn? I'd love you to spend some time with me. What's your spiritual gift and how are you using it in the church to be with God? If, if you want to spend time with mom, she'll be over there in the kitchen doing something. If you want, Dad's in the garage. You need to go and be in the garage with him. God is up to great things in the church. What is your spiritual gift and how are you going to use it in the church? That's where God works. All over the world, he's using the church. All over the world to do great things. And he would love for you to join him there. He doesn't need you. But he'd sure like to spend time with you. Here's some last thoughts for 
the end of 2023, God Almighty is a king of creation where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, that he has a right to rule, our Father who art in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It will be. It's going to happen. I know how it ends. It's fate. And in light of all of that, the sovereign power of God, he has chosen to ask us to do good works in Jesus Christ that he's arranged for us to do before creation so that we could be heroes in his storyline and that we could spend time enjoying his presence. God has committed three chapters to that lesson. Let's relax and enjoy the ride. Let's find ourselves doing things we couldn't imagine doing otherwise. Let's be the Indiana Jones that we've been assigned to be in the years to come. Let's pray to that end. Dear little God, of all the chapters <laughs> that we have that we read over and contemplated, here are three that are making a very strong point about who you are and the purpose of creation and how we can fit into that. Lord, I'd ask that we would allow these truths to penetrate our souls so that we wouldn't live frantically thinking that it is all up to us. But on the other hand, that we wouldn't be hiding in the bleachers where it's safe and it's comfortable. Lord, I'd ask that you would inspire us to live heroic lives lives without regret from eternity, and lives enjoying your very presence and doing your will, your way, in this very brief and short existence that we have. Lord, we're grateful for these lessons in these three chapters. Three chapters without a single hero. And let that be a warning to all of us. God, I'd ask that you would have Grace Covenant Church play her part in your story. This, this church on a hill can't be hidden. Inspire us collectively and individually to use our gifts to serve your church for your good pleasure on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's saints said, Amen.